All right, if you have a Bible this morning, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. And uh, we began a couple weeks ago a brand new sermon series called Loud and Clear. And uh, we've been studying the book of 1 Thessalonians. And uh, the book of 1 Thessalonians is a letter uh, written to a church plant in the ancient city of Thessalonica. And uh, it's a church plant much like our church plant, just getting off the ground, just still in their infancy. And uh, Paul was wondering about how they were doing. He started this church but had to leave abruptly. And so uh, he sends Timothy back to the church and uh, to kind of check up on them. And Timothy comes back and says, hey, Paul, great news. They're doing great. The church is doing great. And so Paul writes this letter back to them to encourage them in the faith and to thank them for their faithfulness. And uh, this was a church whose mission and whose purpose was loud and it was clear. It was loud and it was clear. It was loud. Everybody knew uh, about this church. People were talking about this church, but it was also very clear. Their mission and their purpose was clear. It was all about reaching people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. And that's what we're all about here at Rock Hill. And so uh, today is going to be the third installment uh, in this series. And I hope that that you're ready for it. And uh, the title of the message today, if you want to write it down for taking notes, is Trust the Process. Trust the Process. Everybody say, Trust the Process. Last week we left off in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2, verse 12. Today we'll pick it up in verse number 13. If you're ready, say ready. Verse 13, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth. Everybody say truth. As it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. For ye, brethren, became... Everybody say became. He became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us. And they please not God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved, to fill up their, uh, to fill up their sins all way, for the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we would have uh, come again unto you, but even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and our joy. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for for the time together that we've had in worship this morning. God, I pray that our attention would be uh, focused on you. God, I pray that we would uh, have a holy attention that's on your word this morning. God, I pray that you'd give me the words to say. Lord, I pray that I'd be filled with your spirit. God, I pray that we can leave here challenged and encouraged from your word. And uh, God, I pray that uh, you would be pleased with everything that's said and done in this service. And that we love you. Amen. Some things in life are a process. Everybody say a process. Some things in life uh, take a little bit of time. They're a process. Uh, this past Christmas, uh, my in-laws uh, decided to give uh, Katie and I Disney passes so we can take the kids to Disneyland. And uh, so we were excited about that. And we thought that uh, this past week that we would take the kids to Disneyland and uh, we'd have a great family day. Well, uh, going to Disneyland with three children now, I'm learning, is quite 
the process. And uh, some of you kids can relate to me that uh, it's not always as easy as it might sound. And, and so we were getting ready to go to Disneyland, and first we got to pack the car up, and we got to pack sippy cups, and we got to pack diaper bags, and we got to pack change of clothes, because you never know what's going to happen. And uh, uh, we got to pack all these things. We packed those things up. We packed up uh, a single stroller. We packed up a double stroller as well. We're just filling our car with all kinds of things. And uh, we drive to Disneyland. We get to Disneyland. The first parking lot we tried was closed. And uh, so we went to the next parking lot, and it was the parking uh, garage, the big structure. And uh, we had to wait in a long line to even find a parking spot. When we found a parking spot, when we finally were directed to one, uh, we unloaded the kids, unloaded the strollers, unloaded everything. And uh, then we went, and uh, we, we happened to park on the very top level of the parking garage. And so we needed to ride either the escalators down or the elevators down. Well, with the strollers, we needed to take uh, the elevator down, but the line for the elevator... Uh, was longer than the line for Space Mountain, okay? You needed, you needed like a fast pass to ride the elevator down uh, to uh, the lower floor. And so I said to Katie, we're not going to wait uh, in that elevator line. Let's just take the escalators down with the strollers. And uh, she said, no, that's not a good idea. I said, let's just try it. And so, so we went over to the escalators, and uh, I had this double stroller that's very long, and we got on the, on the escalators, and I, I like lifted it up, trying to balance the front up as we're going down. I'm getting all these dirty looks from safety conscience parents kind of looking at me, and I'm just like, don't judge me, you know, <laughs> you don't know. So, so we're going down the elevator. We finally get down safely in one piece. Uh, then uh, we had to go through the security line, which was uh, a very long line. Then we had to go uh, to the tram uh, line to get in the tram, and so before we got in the tram, uh, we had to un unpack all of our strollers strollers and everything and kind of pack them all up so we can fit onto the tram and I'm doing all this and I'm holding the kids and I'm holding the strollers and Liv said dad I thought we were going to Disneyland today and I said me too Liv me too and uh, so I, I packed everything up we finally got there by the time we got to the front gate it had taken us over an hour uh, just to get to the gate from the parking structure it was quite the process the other day Katie was out shopping and uh, I decided that instead of going and shopping with her, I would take the kids over to Krispy Kreme Donuts. How many of you think that's a, that's a good decision, right? I, wanna, I enjoy a good donut, right? Like I enjoy our donut wall outside. That, that, you know, that's a good thing, right? Some of you are like, what are we talking about? You know, get to the sermon. Um, so, so, so I decided to take the kids over to uh, Krispy Kreme uh, Donuts. And one thing I like about Krispy Kreme Donuts is not only the, the uh, delicious product, but if you've ever been to Krispy Kreme, you can see the uh, big glass window and you can see the process of how they make the donuts, right? And, you know, they, they, they form the donut and they dip it in the hot oil and then they put it on that line and it's dipped in the, like, the uh, bath glaze, you know, like as it goes through. And uh, it's kind of fun to see the process. It's one thing to enjoy the product. It's another thing to understand the process. You know, sometimes in life we like to talk about the product of faith, but we don't necessarily talk often about the process of faith. Everybody likes to uh, talk about moving uh, mountains with faith and stepping out by faith and doing some big things. But what about the process? What about the behind-the-scenes look at faith? The Bible says in Hebrews, it talks about the product of faith. In Hebrews 11, verse number 33, it says, Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. Like, that's the product of faith. Everybody likes that, stopping the mouths of lions and doing something big for God. That's the product of faith. But what about the process? A couple of verses later, it says in verse 37, they were stoned. They were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepkins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. That, that's the process. See, anything in life worth doing is going to be a process. It's going to be a process. Uh, the Philadelphia 76ers and the NBA, uh, they've kind of adapted this motto over the last couple seasons called trust the process. 
And uh, they, they've said it over and over again, trust the process. And they're going through a rebuilding uh, season, and, and uh, their team is not quite as good, so they're losing a lot of games. And, and, and the managers and the players are always saying, hey, just trust the process. We're going to lose short term because we want to win long term. There's this process. They're saying we've got to trust the process. I believe that saying can be uh, true for us as well this morning, for us, uh, uh, those that are walking by faith or that want to uh, live a faith journey, that we should trust the process. Everybody say, trust the process. The Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36, for ye have need of patience that after ye have done the will of God. So he says, you need patience that after ye have done the will of God, that's the process, ye might receive the promise. And so if you want the promise, you've got to be faithful to the process. A lot of times we want the promise without the process. Just give me that promise. That's, that's what I want. But, but if you want to receive that promise, you got to be faithful to the process, and that takes patience, what the author of Hebrews is saying. And so we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2 this morning, and we're going to look at verses 13 through 20, and we're going to see this process of a life of faith. Uh, Paul is kind of revealing uh, how he came and started the church, and he's reminding them about uh, what he went through, and he's reminding them about the process that, that took them to get there. And he's going to reveal to us kind of a behind-the-scenes look at a life of faith. We're going to see the process of a life of faith. And so if you're taking notes this morning, we're going to break it down into five parts uh, to this process. Number one, if you're taking notes, God speaks. God speaks. Notice what it says in verse number 13. It says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which ye heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. And so this process, this, this journey starts by, by, by the word of God, by God speaking. That's where faith begins. The Bible says in Romans 10, 17, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And so this process begins with God speaking. This faith journey begins with God speaking. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And so when we open up this book, we're not opening up a historical book just with some interesting facts. We're opening up the living word of God. This is, this is the very words of God. This is God's word revealed unto us. And so this process begins with God speaking and there's a couple things that we can notice about verse number 13. First of all, uh, the word of God was welcome. It was welcome. In verse number 13, it says twice that they, they received it. Uh, they received the word of God. And uh, th those words received, actually, they mean two different things. The, the first word received is kind of like a, a word for recognition, for acknowledging. Kind of like if you received a package uh, from FedEx and you had to sign for it, you were acknowledging that you received it. I, I got that package. The second word uh, for received is more uh, talking about welcoming, embracing. If someone knocks on your door and you invite them into your home, you're, you're embracing them. You're, you're, you're receiving them. And so uh, Paul was saying, hey, when we came to you and we opened up the word of God as it is in truth, you received it. You acknowledged it. You, you recognized it, but also you welcomed it in. You embraced it. You wanted it. You wanted to learn what the Bible says. I want to ask you this question this morning. Is the word of God God, welcome in your life. He says, you received it, not, not as words of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. They, they welcomed it in. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, as newborn babe, desired the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. So, so, so they welcomed it. They wanted that, the word of God in their life. They had that desire. When Paul went and started this, this church, we, we kind of see his process, how he came and uh, when he showed up the first day, we've talked about it the last couple of weeks, he, he, he showed up and he started to preach in the synagogue. That was his custom. That was his manner. That's what he did. 
Well, the Bible tells us that, uh, kind of more specifically how he did that in Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 3, it says this. Now, when they had passed through uh, Amphipolis and, and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and, and, the, and three Sabbath days reasoned, okay, that's the first key word, reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. And so uh, Paul had a, a few different ways of communicating truth. And uh, he had a few different ways of communicating the gospel message. The first word there uh, that was mentioned in those verses is reason. That, that meant that Paul kind of sat down with them and he took questions and answers. Uh, it wasn't necessarily him holding a microphone and standing on a stage and, and speaking in that sense. No, he, he just took some questions and answers. So he was reasoning with them. Then the next word is open. And that meant that he opened uh, the text and he explained what it meant. He, he explained uh, what, what the word of God was saying. And he was taking questions and he was explaining. The next word is alleged. That word means to uh, present a case with evidence. He, he was saying, hey, uh, this is true. Let me show you why it's true. Let me give you some evidence. Uh, let me give you some answers to, to, to back up this claim. And then the next word was preach. And that means to make it public, to make it loud, and to make it clear. And so Paul had different styles and different ways of communicating, but the point is they were gathering around the Word of God. They were asking questions. They wanted answers. He was presenting a case to them saying, hey, this is true. This is not just my idea. This is not just the Word of men. This is the Word of God. And so the Word of God was welcome in this group. They welcomed it. We want it. We have that desire. But also the Word of God was not only welcome, it was working. It was welcome, but then it was working. Look at what it says at the end of verse 13. It says, uh, when you receive the word of God, which you have heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. So it was being put to work. They said, hey, uh, uh, the word of God is not only welcome, but we actually want to apply it. We want to do what this book says. It was being put to work. The Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the, to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the, of the joints and marrow, and it is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And so, so, so they received the word of God. They welcomed it. By the way, I don't want to build my life on the ever-changing current of what our culture is. I want to build my life on the foundational principles found in the Word of God. Okay, I want to build my life on the life-giving, life-changing message that's found in this book. I believe what this book says because it's not the Word of men. It is the Word of God, okay? And so I want to build my life on what the Bible says. And so the Bible was, the Word of God was welcome. God was speaking. It was welcome. But then it was working. They were actually applying what they were hearing. See, there's a difference between hearing and heeding, Right, sometimes we can hear something, but we don't heed to it. Sometimes Katie will ask me, hey, can you take the trash out? And I'll hear it. <laughs> but it takes me a little bit before I actually maybe get to it, right? There's a difference between hearing something and heeding something. When it comes to the Word of God, the, uh, the hearing of the Word of God should come, and it should be followed by the heeding of the Word of God. We should actually listen and obey and do what the Bible tells us. See, the problem is not access to the Word of God. The problem is application of the Word of God. See, the problem with Christians so often is we're, we're educated far beyond our level of obedience. We know so much, but do we do it? Do we apply it? It's not, it's not about access. It's about application. Do we, do we welcome the word of God? Do we put it to work? Do we do what the Bible tells us to do? They were putting it to work. The Bible says in James chapter 4, verse 17, Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not to him it is sin. See, there are some sins that are sins of uh, commission. We do them. We commit them. You know, but then there are some sins of omission where we know what the right thing to do is, but we don't do it. 
James says, if you know what's right, but you don't do it, it's sin. And so often we, we can hear the word of God and we can come on a Sunday and we can hear messages and we can hear the Bible. Or we, can, we, we, we can read the Bible on our own, but do we actually apply it? Do we actually invest it? Do we actually uh, put it to work in our lives? See, this church at Thessalonica was so prosperous, not only because they sat under the word of God and they welcomed it, but also they put it to work. And so in this faith process, Paul says, let me just remind you uh, how this works. First of all, it starts with God speaking. Number one, God speaks. Notice the second part of this process. Not only does God speak, but number two, lives change. So God speaks, and then lives change. Notice what it says in verse number 14. For ye, brethren, became, emphasis on became. You, you became something. You became followers. You became imitators of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. And so something happened to them when the word of God was put to work. They, they didn't stay the same, right? Uh, they, 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 they put it to work. They welcomed the word of God. They put it to work. And then something happened where they became like those other churches. And it's interesting because this was a church made up of Gentiles. And Paul says, hey, you're just like the churches over in Judea. They couldn't have been any more different culturally. They didn't know anything about the law of Moses. They didn't know anything about the traditions of men that, that, that those, those churches were familiar with. This was just a bunch of new people that just accepted Jesus. And Paul says, hey, you're applying the word of God. You're putting it to work. And guess what? You're becoming just like these other churches. There was this transformation that was taking place. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 through 24, that you put off concerning the former conversion, conversation of the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed. Everybody say renewed. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. See, we need to move from just an intellectual grasp of the truth to an internal reception of the truth, and that's when your life can be changed. That's when transformation takes place. In the 1700s, there was a painter named uh, Bernardo Bellotto. And uh, he uh, was a famous painter, and uh, he's kind of known for his uh, eye for detail. And, and he was a, a European painter that painted some, some beautiful paintings of European landscapes and different cities and different things. And, and people really appreciated his art because he had an, he had an attention to detail. And uh, after he was long gone, though, about two centuries later, his real uh, accomplishments uh, shine through. What he's most famous for is after World War II, when cities were, were bombed out in Europe and cities were destroyed, they actually took his paintings and they used them as kind of a template, a kind of a blueprint to rebuild some of these cities. And so his artwork became much more than just beautiful art. It was now a roadmap to transformation. See, the Bible is far more than just a beautiful collection of writings. The Bible is a roadmap to transformation. The Bible is the living word of God. The Bible is perfect, inspired, it's without error, and it is a roadmap to a life filled with transformation. If you read the Bible, if you apply the word of God in your life and God is doing a work in you, you will never be the same. So God speaks and then lives change. Notice what the Bible says. In, the, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 13, but we all with open face beholding as a glass the glory of the Lord and are changed. Everybody say changed. changed. We are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. And so they were becoming like Christ. The Bible says in, in Romans chapter 12, verse number two, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so in this process, Paul's reminding them, hey, this is how I came, and this is how we started the church, and it begins with God speaks. And then lives change. Notice the third part in this process. Number three, opposition comes. God speaks, lives change, opposition comes. Notice verse number 14. For ye, brethren, 
became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are, are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like, these, like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. And so Paul says, hey, you've suffered. We, we understand this. You've gone through some affliction. You've gone through some heartache, some suffering. And he's reminding them of the opposition that came, the opposition that they were still in. And notice where the opposition came from. It says, from your own countrymen. Sometimes those that know us the best can actually hurt us the worst. And he says, this opposition came even from your own countrymen. And I believe he mentions this opposition for two reasons. One, he wants to be an encouragement to them. Uh, because he says, hey, uh, in verse number 14, you're becoming just like those other churches in that they've suffered as well. The churches at Judea, they've gone through some hardship as well. And he's saying, hey, you're not alone in this. All that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. He says, hey, this suffering isn't coming because you've done something wrong or because you're on the wrong path. No, this suffering is coming because it's inevitable in the Christian faith. It's going to be a part. Opposition will come. He says, you're becoming just like those other churches. And guess what? They're experiencing heartache too. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 through 16, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice. Everybody say rejoice. rejoice. In so much as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye for the spirit of the glory uh, and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is uh, evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. He says, if you're suffering because of the name of Christ, give God the glory in that suffering. He says, hey, let me just tell you something. There are other people going through what you're going through. There is strength in understanding that other people have gone what you've gone through. In fact, Warren Wiersbe says this about this passage. He says, here's one of the great values of the local church. We stand together in times of difficulty and encourage one another. It was when Elijah isolated himself from the other faithful Israelites that he became discouraged and wanted to quit. One reason Paul sent Timothy to Thessalonica uh, was to encourage the believers. A lonely saint is very vulnerable to the attacks of Satan. We need one another in the battles of life. See, we are stronger together. And that's why uh, faithfulness to the house of God and faithfulness to church is so vitally important uh, because the Bible says a, th a threefold cord is not quickly broken. And, and so when we are together, there is strength in solidarity through suffering. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 through 4, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of comfort, who comforted us in our tribulation, that we may be able also to comfort uh, them which aren't in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves, ourselves were comforted of God. Basically what that verse is saying is, hey, God has comforted you in your adversity, in your affliction, in your suffering, so that you in turn can go and comfort somebody else. You never know what somebody else is going through. You never know what kind of pain someone else is experiencing even today. And so God gives us comfort and he gives us his Holy Spirit so that we can be comforted so that we in turn can go and comfort others. And so Paul was trying to encourage them saying, hey, uh, there, there are some people that are going what you're going through, but also not only for encouragement, but also for exhortation. Uh, notice what he says in verse uh, 15 and 16. If you're with me, Sam, with you. Verse 15 says this, Who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us, and they please not God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak the, uh, to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins all the way, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. And so Paul here is speaking of the Jews that oppose the gospel being spread. Now he's not talking about 
all Jews. Uh, Paul himself was a Jew. Many Jews got saved. He's not talking about all Jews. He's talking about uh, the unbelieving Jews who opposed the gospel message. And uh, they were contrary to all men. They did not want the gospel to spread. See, the devil has always tried to silence uh, the voices of men and women of faith. He's always tried to silence uh, those people that want to speak out for what they believe. And he says, hey, uh, these people have been forbidding us to speak uh, to the Gentiles that they might be saved. By the way, that's the worst kind of opposition. When someone is opposing the gospel message being advanced. I'll never forget being at a youth camp one time and I was sitting in the back and uh, uh, the, the speaker gave a gospel invitation and he had just uh, presented the gospel and you can have a relationship with Jesus and it was a great service and, and a lot of people were kind of coming forward uh, to receive Christ as their savior. And I remember I was sitting in the back and there was two girls in front of me and uh, he said, if you want to accept Jesus Christ as your savior, just come forward and, uh, and, we'll, and we'll pray with you and we'll show you how you can do that. And, and this girl stepped out in the aisle and she was about to walk forward and her friend literally grabbed her arm and pulled her back in. See, that's the worst kind of opposition when you say, no, I don't want you to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And Paul was saying, hey, uh, the Jews, the, these unbelieving Jews have, have, have opposed us and have tried to stop uh, the gospel from being advanced. By the way, we live in a culture that's trying to oppose the gospel as well. Every, every which way you look in culture, there are people that are trying to silence the voice of Christianity and trying to minimize our faith. But what we need to do is stand strong in that opposition, knowing that it's coming, and boldly declare the truth of the gospel. Say, hey, I'm not ashamed of what I believe. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I'm ready to stand up and stand out and let the message be known loud and clear. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And so Paul says, hey, this opposition is coming. It's inevitable. It's going to come. Be ready for it. Well, we'll talk about it again next week. He says, hey, you were born for this. Adversity is coming. And so he says, here's this process. We need to understand it. God speaks. Lives change. Opposition comes. It's coming. Notice, notice number four, the fourth part in this process. Opportunity follows. Opposition comes, but opportunity follows. Notice in our text, verses 17 and 18. It says this, But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart. He says, man, our heart was with you. We, we were gone uh, physically, but our heart was there. Endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Paul says, man, we wanted to be there so bad. It was killing me inside. I just wanted to be there and see how you were doing. Verse 18. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. Paul said, I wanted to go twice. Once and again, I tried twice to go and visit you, but Satan hindered us. Everybody say hindered. Hindered means roadblock. He says, both, both times I tried to go and see you, Satan put up a roadblock so I couldn't get past. I wanted, I tried and, and something came up, and we, we were unable to go and see you. And you might be thinking, well, where is the opportunity found in verses 17 and 18? We see the opposition. It just looks like more opposition, right? Opposition from the unbelieving Jews. And now Paul says, I, I tried to go back and see you and tried to go back and encourage you, but, but Satan put up a roadblock, and I couldn't get through. Where's the opportunity? Well, I believe if we take a step back and we kind of look at an aerial view of the text, we can kind of see the opportunity that's actually taking place. The opportunity is found in the letter to the church at Thessalonica. See, Paul couldn't go and be there in person, 
But he said, that's not going to stop me from getting the message across that I want to get across. Somebody get me some pen and some paper so I can write down this letter and so I can send it uh, to the church that's at Thessalonica and be an encouragement to them. I'm not going to let this opposition, this this roadblock hold me back. I'm going to step out. I'm going to write this letter and I'm going to encourage this church. And in doing so, and not only encourage the church, but encourage generations to come that it's in the the, the written word of God. And now we can learn from it so long uh, later. We can learn from what Paul was saying. See, he wasn't going to let this opposition hold them back. It was simply an opportunity to advance the gospel in a different way. Paul said, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go ahead and write this letter. You can't, you can't stop me from doing that. And so Paul writes this letter and it's an encouragement. Paul, Paul had this, this passion and this burning desire to get the, to get the message across. Kind of like uh, the prophet Jeremiah when he says, the word of God was in my heart like a fire. Just, I, just had to, I just had to tell somebody. I just had to get it out. Paul said, I got to communicate this message. He wasn't going to let oppor- the, the, this opposition hold him back, but there was an opportunity that he could take, and he took it. Sometimes in the midst of our difficulty, we should be looking for an opportunity. Paul took this opportunity, and he said, I'm going to write this letter, and I'm going to encourage this church any way that I can. In the 1800s, there was a little boy in France. His name was Louis, and I read this story about uh, how he wanted to be a harness maker like his father. And he, uh, they were in the shop one day, and, and the little boy said, he was nine years old, he said, I want to be a harness maker just like you, Dad. And he said, well, let's start today. And so they were going to make something, and he, and he grabbed this piece of leather, and they kind of outlined it out. And he said, I want you to take this hole puncher, and I want you to take this hammer, and I want you to hammer out this design. And so the little boy took it, he took the hammer, and he started kind of uh, nailing down these, these pieces, and the hammer slipped, and it went up, and it hit him in the eye. And uh, he immediately lost his sight in that eye. And a couple days later, he lost sight in both eyes. Nine years old, and this was, uh, this was a devastating loss for his family. They, be, they became uh, devastated, and they were, they, were, they were experiencing this tragic loss of their son losing, their sight at nine, uh, losing his sight at nine years old. And a couple years later, they were sitting at, at their house in, in, in the family garden that they had there, and someone handed Louis a pine cone. And he started to feel kind of the, the tips and the end of the pine cone, and he got an idea. And he ran and got some paper, and he started to raise some dots on the paper, and he says, maybe I can create an alphabet so that people that are blind can read uh, through this alphabet system. And that little boy's name was Louis Braille. And he took that difficulty at his worst moment, and he turned it into an opportunity. I just want to tell you this morning that there might be a barrier in your path, but there is a blessing in your future. You just got to keep your eyes open, keep your eyes on Jesus, and say, you know what? I don't understand completely why this is happening to me, but I'm just going to trust God that there is an opportunity hidden in the opposition. And so opposition came, but an opportunity followed. Paul said, I'm going to write this letter back to this church. Opportunity came. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9, this is something that Paul understood and he communicated to Timothy. He said, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. Aren't you thankful today that the word of God cannot return void? The word of God is not bound. We might be bound and we might be stuck and there might be a roadblock in our path, but the word of God will never fail. It's never bound. So this opportunity came. See, spiritual maturity always looks for the advantage in the affliction. Spiritual maturity always seeks to find the advantage in the midst of the affliction. And so Paul said, you know, I'm going to use this to my advantage. I'm going to write this letter. Opportunity followed. Notice the fifth part will be done this morning. Number five, reward awaits Reward awaits. So God speaks. Everybody say God speaks. Lives change. Opposition comes. Opportunity follows. 
and reward awaits. Notice what it says in verse 19. It says this, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming for ye are our glory and our joy. Paul says, you know, want to know what this is all about? Want to know what it all boils down to? Do you want to know what our glory is, what our joy is? You want to know what our crown of rejoicing is? He says, it's you. When Jesus comes back and we're standing in his presence, you are our crown of rejoicing. The word crown is in the Greek, uh, stephanos, and it's, it's the idea of, in the Greek games, they would get a, a crown, a wreath crown as, as an award for victory. He says, you're our victory. You're our crown of rejoicing. You're why we do this. He said, what really matters to us, what this all boils down to, what it all comes down to is, is when we stand before Jesus, that we can cast crowns at his feet because those people that have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, they're our glory and our joy, they're the crown of rejoicing. That's the reward. That's what we're living for. Daniel said this in Daniel chapter 12, verse number three, and they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Turning many to righteous, boldly shining your light, the light of Jesus, to let this community know that, hey, there is a life giving. And there is a life-changing message of, of Jesus. That, that's what we're all about. That's what we want uh, to do with our lives. That's our purpose. That's our goal. And Paul was teaching us something about vision. He was not looking back being discouraged at everything that had just happened. He was not looking back being discouraged and kind of beating himself up for wanting to do more. Do more. He said, no, I'm going to look forward unto that day when Jesus returns. I'm going to look forward to that day when we're standing in the presence of God and, and we're surrounded with a sea of people and you are our glory and our joy, those people that have accepted Jesus Christ as their, as their Savior. And I just want to tell you something today is that one day we will stand before Jesus. One day he's coming again and in that day we're going to be surrounded by people and those people that from Montana, California have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. That is our glory. That is our joy. That is our crown of rejoicing. That's our purpose. That's our mission. That's why we're here today. That's why we do what we do. That's what motivates us. That's what drives us. Not for personal recognition, not for personal gain, but for the gain and glory of Jesus Christ. Those people that will pray and accept Jesus Christ all over the world that we can stand there in that heavenly reunion and say, you are our crown of rejoicing. That's what it's all about. That's our glory and our joys, these people that have been saved. And on Easter, we've already, we have six, seven people lined up to be baptized and we want that number to go up because we wanna see lives changed by the power of the gospel. That's what it's all about. Several years ago, there was a commercial that Mercedes-Benz put out and they came up with this brake technology that was supposed to advance the safety of the vehicles. And they, had, they developed this technology and they patented it, but they actually shared it with all the other automobile companies because they said in their commercial, they said, some things in life are too important not to share. Some things in life are too important not to share. We have the best news in all the world. Jesus came, lived a perfectly sinless life. He died on the cross for your sins and for my sins so that we might have a home in heaven, that we might have a relationship with God. That's the good news of the gospel. It's too good not to share. I wanna stand before Jesus one day and look around and see people from all over this community that accepted Christ because we were faithful to the process. It's not always about the product, thinking about the product. What about the process? Are we willing to be faithful to the process? 
Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. God speaks, lives change, opposition comes, opportunity follows. Just gotta be looking and reward awaits. What's our reward? So those people that have accepted Jesus.